today, I want to make first the observation, or actually it's more of a question. Have you guys ever noticed how, it's almost like a phenomenon, how people can be looking at the same thing, but then they walk away with different conclusions? It ever happened to you? You're a little bit amazed. You're like, well, the thing we are looking at is pretty obvious, and it's not really that obvious. Now, let me give you a couple examples. Take a look at this picture. <laughs> right. That happened. That really did happen not too long ago. Okay. Now, let me just ask you guys. We're all looking at the same thing. There's a difference between a common foul and a flagrant one and two. Okay. Does this deserve a flagrant foul? Or how many of you guys are saying common foul? Raise your hands. As opposed to flagrant. Okay, I'm just going to take a random guess. And I'm thinking that people are going to say, that was probably a common foul, right? You guys agree with me? I think it's just a common foul. Now, there's the reason why Patrick's with me. Now, there's the reason why. Look, Draymond was the victim, right? The other guy fouled Draymond, and Draymond was trying to sell it because it really did hurt, right? So his hands went up, and then his leg just happened to go up in another man's Shobatang, right? That's Taiwanese, by the way. Um, that happened, right? Now look, most people here seeing this, they got a conclusion, right? But what do you think, by the way, that, that man who's, who's getting the treatment, that's Stephen Adams, right? What do you think his mom would say about this question? What do you think OKC would say about this? They would say guilty, suspension. Are you with me? People seeing the same thing? But they come away with a different conclusion, right? Let me give you another example. All right, this one's a little bit more serious. This one's a little bit more racially loaded. So I'm going to go very quickly with this one, okay? But the idea is a lot of people are looking at the same thing and they walk away with different conclusions. The jury walked away with a certain conclusion. The public, nowadays the majority, think the other way. But we're all looking at the same thing. Different conclusions, same thing, right? Okay, here's the thing. When you look at these pictures, you look at these issues, you're thinking, actually, these are really important topics, right? Draymond Green, suspension, Warriors going to the finals. That's pretty important in the basketball world, amen? Amen? And, of course, in the world of law and justice, which is our world, looking at what really happened with clarity is really important because the stakes are high, right? But it all goes down to how do you see things? And you want to make sure that the person who's making the decision really sees things clearly. Can I get an amen? You want them to not bring in bias. You want them to make a clear judgment. All right, now here's the million-dollar question. The stakes were high before. The stakes are even higher now. Look at this picture. I know it's gory. I know it's bloody. I know it's like it's pretty loud. But here's the question. Who is this man? Who is this man? And why is he on that cross? And why has he got all these cuts? And why is there all this blood, right? Now, there is not a more important question than that question, which is this man? Now, how you determine who this man is has everything to do with how you see. Can you guys just point to your eyes? It's so important to see right. But as we read John 9, there's something that we desperately need to actually see this man right. 
And actually, to see our world right, John 9 talks about what we desperately need. But there is so much that's at stake here. So much that's at stake. Now, this is not me saying. This is what the Bible's saying. The Bible's saying that eternity is at stake depending on how you see that man. So we need to see this man right. Eternity is at stake. What do you mean by eternity? Judgment. Where people wind up forever is all based on how you see that man. Now, for some people, that's kind of abstract. Look, eternity is a very long time. I could talk about that forever. Um, But right now, we can just talk about this life. The Bible makes this amazing claim that if you can see this man with clear eyes, then it will forever change your life. Your life will not be the same. Your life will be brimming with hope and meaning and joy. And in many ways, it's uncontainable. And you just want to share it with other people. Your life will be changed. It also means that there's endurance for suffering. But the quality of your life will totally change. And it has everything to do with how you see this man. So we need to see this man with clear eyes. And John 9 is like, okay, if you're going to really see the evidence clearly, you desperately need what John 9 is talking about. So let's open to John 9. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk through John 9, and I'm going to do really quickly, but in the space of 10 minutes, okay? I know you heard it. I'm just going to walk it through with a little bit more commentary and detail, and then in 10 minutes we will have covered John 9, okay? All 39 voices, uh, verses. Okay, um, well, first of all, John 9 starts with a man who's been blind from birth. Now, uh, pretty much all of us don't really know what that's like, but just imagine you have never seen the beauty of a sunset. You have never seen a, a beautiful face. You don't even know what your own face looks like. What is it like to not see a world of shape and color That was this man, blind from birth. Now, the disciples um, look at this man, and Jesus sees this man, and the disciples have this really engaging question. And the question is, who sinned? Because they're thinking automatically in a world of karma, I guess you could say. Um, But even in Old Testament principles, if you see someone who suffered, they must have sinned. Either they sinned or their parents sinned. So who sinned, Jesus? Now, I just want to point this out, and then we're going to move on. Jesus says, look, don't look at this bad situation as punishment, and don't look at it as abandonment. That part I just added, but other people kind of see it as abandonment. Look at this bad situation as opportunity. Let me hear you guys say opportunity. This is an amazing opportunity for God's healing, love, and restorative power to be made known. So the works of God can be demonstrated in his life. Now, just real quickly, some of you are in here. There's a bad situation that's happening in your life. You're tempted to think, God is punishing me. Or you're tempted to think, God has abandoned me. And then just imagine Jesus saying, don't think like that. Think opportunity. You bring this up to the Lord. You be faithful and you see how God is going to redeem the situation for good. Can I get an amen? Okay, so then Jesus, um, well, what he does is you see Jesus, and I imagine he he approaches the man who's been born blind, and and he kneels down, and Jesus, you know, he spits in the ground, and then he's kind of playing with his spittle, and he's forming little mud cakes, and then he's like putting it into this man's eyes. And then he says, go to the pool of Siloam and wash, right? The man goes, 
he washes, and then he comes back seen. Now, this is really exciting, but it's, it's funny how the scripture understates it. It's just like, yeah, that's just what happened. God just did it, right? But you just imagine the first thing when he opens his eyes and he's washing, the first thing he sees are the ripples of the water, and then he looks up and he sees the blueness of the sky, and he sees trees, and he sees people. First time, amazing. Now, what is this passage about? How people see, okay? It's all about how people see. Now, there's going to be four, actually five conversations that talk about clarity of sight. And it's almost like just because you see a miracle, don't you think, don't be thinking that you will automatically know what the miracle means. Because that's not what happened. Okay, conversation number one. So this man was formerly blind, you know, blind from birth, and he's walking down the street. One of his neighbors who saw maybe every day is like, oh. Is that the guy? And he's, he's motioning to his buddy. His buddy's like, no, that's not the guy. He just looks at him. That's the guy. And then the, 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 the blind man comes up, I am the guy, right? And, and he says, well, what happened? And the guy says, well, the man Jesus, right? The man Jesus did this. And the guys are like, well, where is the man Jesus? I, I don't know, right? Now, I, I just want to point out, just, you know, pause. I just want to point out that in this interaction, Jesus is conveniently not there, Right? What's happening? These neighbors have an opportunity to what? To look at the miracle and to apply something the way that they see it that will lead towards something amazing, but they don't go there. What do they fail to apply? Faith. Why do they fail to apply it? I guess they were timid. They lacked courage. They're like, we don't have the education or the scruples to actually understand what this means. So we're going to appeal to who? The moral teachers. And their names are the Pharisees. I don't know. Let's ask the Pharisees. They had an opportunity to apply faith. But they didn't. They chickened out. So they go up to the Pharisees. They take the man to the Pharisees. The Pharisees go, what happened? The man tells his story. By the way, this is just a side. Um, we are talking about evangelism in this series. And can evangelism just be as simple as telling your story of what Jesus did? Absolutely, yeah. And that's what this guy does. Now, here's the thing. Look at the Pharisees. The Pharisees are standing in front of a miracle, right? But what do they say? They, they almost go like, whoa, 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 stop it right there, right there. God cannot be with this guy. This guy cannot come from God because... God doesn't listen to lawbreakers. And we've seen this man, he breaks the Sabbath. They never once thought that Jesus didn't break the Sabbath, but he came to fulfill the Sabbath and to really show what Sabbath rest means, which is restoration. Didn't even cross their minds. They were so closed. Now, this is crazy, okay? You guys ever heard the term seeing is believing? You guys have heard that term, actually, that the message is named seeing is believing. But here, the Pharisees see, but they don't believe. They see the miracle, they don't believe. You know, I think this shows that actually it's not as simple as seeing is believing. A lot of times the reverse is equally or even more true. Believing is seeing. Now, because the Pharisees failed to believe that Jesus is who he said he is, they could not see the miracle for what it was showing. They couldn't see because they didn't believe. And so bias and pride and arrogance 
was blinding them. You guys see this? So there's some division among the Pharisees, and they go, hey, what do you think, you know? And the guy says, I think he's a prophet. All right, now imagine this. One of the Pharisees after this goes, you know, I got an idea. I think I can explain this. The other, the other guys go, what, what, what? And, and he says, I bet you it wasn't even a miracle. I bet you it wasn't even the guy. Or maybe, you know, maybe he had partial sight and he got sick, but then it, it just healed itself. I bet you it wasn't really a miracle. So they decide, let's invite the parents. Let's interview the parents, right? They bring the parents in. This your son? Yes. Was he born blind? Yes, but don't ask us anything more from that. Now, why? They're afraid that if they come to the conclusion, that if they follow all the breadcrumbs and they come to the conclusion of what this miracle is saying, they're afraid that that conclusion is going to get them thrown out of the community. And they love the community more than they love the truth. You see, there's a cost to faith. And they were not willing to pay that cost. And these are his parents, you know. <laughs> it's Father's Day. You guys are much better, better parents than that. But the parents refused to, get, to go there. They would not pay the cost of faith. And so they're like, okay, what do we do? Let's just get the man in here again. They get the man in here again, and they, they're, they're, they're really like straightforward now. They go, give glory to God. As for this man, he's a sinner. Now, what are they saying? They're saying, look, I know there's a miracle, but it was God who did it, not Jesus. So when you tell the story, don't point to Jesus, point to God, right? That's what they're trying to say. And, and then the man says, look, I don't know if he's a sinner. Now, this is, this is beautiful. But one thing I do know. Wow, this is so hard to argue against. One thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. Uh, you guys, another aside. When we are sharing our faith with other people, there is something that you can say that in a sense is irrefutable which is the evidence of Jesus' work in your life. I don't know if I ever told you this story, but there was a one time there were these evangelists that came to our church, and they were um, talking about this dynamic relationship with God, right? And I came under their influence, and I was just like, wow, I was just amazed. And, and then those evangelists kind of got in trouble with our church. Like, there was some murmuring about those evangelists. Like, we don't think they're real, blah, 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 blah. And guess who stood up and defended them? My mom. My mom defended uh, the, the evangelist. And she said, listen, I don't know about what you guys are saying, but one thing I do know, there's a change in my son. My son used to be so nasty to me. And now he's less nasty to me, you know? <laughs> but she really stood up and said, one thing I do know, guys, one sure evidence that Jesus is real is just the difference that he's made in our lives. Tell that story. Tell it often. Tell it in the most casual way because it's true, right? So that's what the man does. He just kind of tells the story. Now, um, the Pharisees are like, okay, tell us the story one more time. The man loses his patience. He's like, what, you want to hear it again? Really? What, you want to be his disciples too? He's got like a little bit of sass in there, right? It's holy sass. There is such a thing as holy sass, amen? All right, well, he had some holy sass at that moment. But I want to fast forward to this moment. He goes, look, never since the beginning of the creation of the world has it ever been heard that a man has done something like this, right? 
Those are some powerful words. If God was not with him, he could not do one thing. Boom. That's convincing. I think the Pharisees at this moment run out of arguments. They just excommunicate him. They just throw him out. We're done. Now, I want you to pay attention to this man. He's got the miracle. He sees the miracle. He applies faith. Where is it going? When you see the miracles and you apply faith, it ultimately goes towards worship in an incredible experience of the glory of God. Okay, what happens? Jesus hears that he's been excommunicated. He finds him. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man says, tell me who he is. Jesus says, the man who's talking to you is him. And the guy goes, I believe and he worships. I imagine this was the defining moment of his life. He is having the time of his life. There is incredible joy and satisfaction when he can see Jesus clearly. But what do you need? You need faith. Oh my goodness, there's no seeing without faith. And there is no joy without seeing. Now look, look at all the characters, you know. What is this passage about? It's about spiritual sight. The neighbors saw a miracle, but they lacked the courage to apply faith. The Pharisees saw the miracle, but they lacked humility. They were stuck in their ways. The parents, even the parents saw the miracle, but they weren't willing to pay the cost of faith. One man saw the miracle, applied faith, and was able to see Jesus for who he is. Now let me just pause and ask you, how are your eyes of faith? Do you guys see the miracles that are around you? Um, you know, from, from time to time, uh, I, 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 I prefer, instead of telling stories for myself, I prefer to share stories from the congregation. And there will be times where I'm like, oh, I got this concept, I'm excited about this concept, but I don't have a personal story. And so I reach out to the congregation and I call them and go, you know, do you, do you got a God's sighting story about this? Now, you know what happens, like, when I'm preparing for a message and I don't have a story, you know what I do? I call Sharon Chin. It's true. Uh, uh, not as much recently. I probably, you know, I'll give her a call. Uh, uh, how about this summer sometime? But there was a time where I would, I would always call Sharon Chin. She was my go-to person for a God sighting story. And sure enough, I'd be like, hey, Sharon, I'm thinking about this topic. Do you got a story? She'd be like, yeah, I got a story. You know, how old is it? Oh, it just happened like two weeks ago. I'm like, wow, Sharon, how is this possible? In fact, there was one time where I just flat out asked her, why is it that you always have a God story? And some of us like, well, yeah, I have a, you know, back in 1983, you know, why do you always have a God story? Like, why does it seem like God's always doing stuff in your life? Like, does he love you more? You know what she said to me? She says to me, no, of course, God doesn't love me more. She says to me, when I was young, my mom always taught me that God is doing miracles every day. And it's not that he does more miracles for some people who are the elite, but he's doing miracles all the time, and some people just have the eyes to see it. And so at a young age, my mom was training me just to see the miracles, not just big ones, but really small ones. So let me just ask you, do you guys see the miracles that are happening around you every day? Do you apply faith? Does it lead you towards worship? 
or is it something just bland and ordinary? When I was in college, I was mentored by a man named Ji Hong. And uh, he was a great guy, and I just loved how he was just so honest and so r- real. But sometimes he was kind of dorky. And one time we were uh, on his couch and we were watching TV, and Ji Hong is kind of like in his own zone. You know, he has this like epiphany moment. He's thinking about something, and I'm just sitting there watching TV. And then he turns to me and he says, Andrew, do you want to see evidence for the existence of God? I told you, a little dorky, right? So I'm watching TV. I'm like, uh, okay, sure. And he goes, look at this, Andrew. This is evidence for the existence of God. And then he, he holds up a banana. He goes, no, 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 watch this. Look at this. Look at how attractively yellow it is. It makes you want to eat it. And it even has this system where if it's spotted, it's letting you know it's ripe, right? It goes from green to yellow to spotted. And not only that, but look at this case. It's like it's, it's compact. If you carry a clump, it's really, really compact, and it fits very nicely. But on top of that, look at the packaging. This is him, and I'm looking at him. I'm looking at the banana. I'm looking at the TV. And he continues on, and he says, look at the packaging. It's airtight. It's waterproof. And not only that, but it is so easy to open. And once you open it, look at this wonderful white fleshy stuff that's nutritious and delicious. And then he took a bite of his banana, and he kept on with the presentation of God's glory. Okay, I'm looking at this. I'm looking at him. He's talking about this. I'm like, Ji Hong, that's a banana. He's like, no, 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 this is beauty. I'm like, this is a banana. He's like, this is evidence of God. He was, he was about to like, ooh, I start worshiping, right? Ji Hong, it's a banana. Let me ask you guys, what do you see? Do you see beauty or do you see banana? God is doing miracles all around us every day. And the question is, do you have eyes of faith to see? If you did have eyes of faith to see, then even small miracles would lead you to this place of worship. When you woke up this morning and you took the first breath of life, your life, your day was a gift from God. Did you pause at any time to apply faith and go, God, you're so good. Thank you for giving me another day. When, when you saw the sun and it was light, that was a miracle of God. He does miracles every day. He doesn't get tired of rising the sun up every day. Did you look at the sun? Another day of warmth and light and clarity. God, you're so good. What about a coffee? Can coffee be an opportunity to worship? What about a conversation like with your son or your daughter or your mother? And it's a good conversation. You're like, wow, that was a miracle, right? You go back and go, God, you are so good just for the warmth of good conversation, for the warmth and love of family and friends. Ever ever just pray for something small and God answers your prayer that day? You ever like apply faith and go, what does this mean? What is this saying about the glory of God? God, you're so good. You guys, don't live a banana life. See the beauty of the miracles that are around you every day. You don't have to just be impressed by the big ones because there are small ones and this is a God-saturated, God-permeated world and God's glory and miracles are all around us. It's not 
is he doing miracles for you? It's can you see them through the eyes of faith? This is the moment when I bring Sam up, and uh, I, I want you guys to know that the whole message is aligned around spiritual sight, okay? And so Sam is going to talk about how in his spiritual sight journey, God has been revealing himself to Sam. So let's give a, a very warm welcome to Sam as he comes up here. family, and fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. My name is Sam Ewan. Um, first of all, I'd like to say happy Father's Day to the dads, parents, and father figures. Um, I really wouldn't be here ready to get baptized without my parents, partly because I would still be in bed, but, uh, <laughs> but also because they continually show their support and care. Um, now, I'm not here just because I live uh, 300 feet away from Pastor Andrew or because my Facebook wall is flooded with On's nonstop posts and emojis. <laughs> no, I stand before you because I'm committed to living a faith-driven life in Christ. But it wasn't always like this. Uh, I've grown up in a family of six, all shorter than me. Um, but don't worry, Matt. Uh, that's not what is important. <laughs> the important thing is that all of them... Uh, are devoted to the idea that Jesus Christ died for our sins. I grew up knowing nothing except I was to go to church every Sunday and follow the footsteps of my siblings. My whole life had been characterized by attending church and worshiping God because my family did. <clears throat> Often I got into the habit of not asking why I was to attend church or what it really meant when people repeatedly told me that Jesus Christ our Savior died for our sins. I think when my siblings left for college, there was no one to follow except the remnants of their shadows. Uh, I slowly began to wonder why I went to church every Sunday or why I sang along to worship songs when the words meant nothing to me at the time. It really wasn't until one of the Richmond eye screenings that I began to see God work and the real meaning of attending church. For the first time, I began to see the battle between good and evil, and my eyes were open to a spiritual world around me. It was easy for me not to realize how, how he works in our everyday lives and just how easy it is to get into the habit of sin. I began to understand that the evil in my sins, such as lying or holding a grudge, um, for me, sin is like, it was like an addiction. Once I committed it, I really couldn't stop. Uh, but that is why it was so crucial for me uh, that God opened my eyes to the everlasting battle between good and evil. It showed me how desperate I was for forgiveness and how fortunate we are to have a Savior who, by his grace and compassion, died so that our sins could be redeemed. It was then that I truly understood the meaning of attending church, worshiping an almighty and merciful God who owes us nothing yet constantly shows us compassion. It was after this realization that I trusted Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. After this awakening of a new spiritual world around me, I never really did anything about it. I would still commit the same sins, but this time with the mindset that my sins were forgiven because I had an almighty savior. But how could I believe something and completely contradict it with my actions? 
It was pretty bad. It wasn't until on came to Christian Layman Church two years ago and began mentoring me that I changed. Maybe it was his pungent and ever too frequent burps that stirred something inside me. <laughs> Nevertheless, he taught me not to be passive in my walk with God, but to be proactive and constantly li living a life in the image of Jesus. For example, being patient with my parents when I was blindsided by a lie I was attempting to defend. He showed me that God speaks through our greatest tools as followers of Christ, the Bible. I remember reading Romans 6, 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that our grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism and death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of our Father, we too may live a new life. So I stand before you, redeemed by a merciful God, with eyes fully opened, ready to live a faith-driven life, fully committed to Jesus Christ, my Savior. Thank you. Uh, I, I want to remind you that the thread that binds this whole message together is spiritual sight. And so uh, let's go back to the uh, blind man for a little bit. I just want to make a few more points before we close. If you look at the blind man, the formerly blind man, I don't know why I call him the blind man. He's not blind anymore. But the formerly blind man, you will see that his physical healing just happened just like that. Couldn't see, mud on face, washed, boom. The whole world became new, all right? But it happened in just an instant. But if you look at his spiritual sight, you actually see that it came in stages. It wasn't just instantaneous. What do I mean by that? Well, look at how he sees Jesus. When his neighbors come up to him and say, hey, can you tell us a story? He goes, the man Jesus, okay? The man Jesus. So Jesus is like right about here in his, in his own eyes, right? But then when he's talking to the Pharisees and they defer to him, well, who do you think he is? He goes, well, he's a prophet. Okay, he was the man Jesus, now he's prophet. Then when he's talking to the Pharisees a second time, you guys, he says, never before since the creation of the world. Okay, now Jesus went from prophet to unique person in all of human history. Then Jesus shows himself to the man, son of man, I believe, worships Jesus Look, you don't worship another human being. You worship God. He's giving to the human being the worship that is due to God. So he went from man to prophet to unique person in all of history to son of man to I now bow down and worship you as the son of the living God. It happened in stages. Now here's my own confession. When I became a Christian... I, uh, I didn't really see the gospel. Um, there were these evangelists, as I was telling you, with the story of my mom, and they were showing to me that a life with Jesus is really dynamic, and God speaks to you, and it's really exciting, and I, I wanted that. I'm like, I want that relationship with God. But in terms of the gospel, in terms of my own sin, I, I didn't see it. Not when I was, a, you know, in my... 14, not, not even when I was 20. I'm just being honest with you. In terms of my own sin, I actually have grown to see it maybe in the last 15 years, you know? 
But the first 10 years, I wasn't there. I didn't see it. My point here is that for us to really see the gospel, we must see two things. Number one, our sin. And number two, his grace. We must see these things, but these things can actually happen in stages. Now, let me give you an example. I was, uh, two weeks ago, I was hanging out with a family friend, uh, uh, their family and my family, and the kids were playing together basketball. And then after hanging out with our family friend, I made a comment to Raina, okay? It wasn't like a a mean-spirited comment. It was just, just being honest, right? So I was hanging out with the father and hanging out with the husband, and I kind of noticed that he was rather cold with his wife, and the way that he would talk to his kids was pretty harsh, you know? It had this edge of antagonism, like, hey, clean that up, you know? It, it, just, it just rubbed me the wrong way. I didn't see the kindness, right? And so Raina's, uh, I'm sharing this with Raina. Now, again, I wasn't judging him. I was just pointing it out, you know, like there's an issue with maybe one of our friends, and there it is, you know, and we can love and pray for him. And it's so interesting because the very next day I got up early, you know, and I'm preparing lunches for the kids and the kids come down and they're all groggy and they're grumpy and irritable. And I look at my son, I say, hey, why don't you bring your backpack? And he looks at me and he goes, I don't know where my backpack is. And I go, well, why don't you look around the house? And he goes, why don't you come with me, dad? And I'm like, okay. Actually, I didn't say it like that. I'm like, fine, all right? And so we're both going around the house and we're looking for his backpack because he knows when he comes back home, he's supposed to put his backpack away, right? We look in the car, it's not there. We're looking all over the house, it's not there. I'm getting mad, but I'm like, okay, you know something? I really need to be kind. It's the beginning of the day. I'm going to just speak kindly to my son. Yeah, I didn't speak kindly to my son. (laughs) It came out with an edge of antagonism, okay? I'm being honest, he found his backpack, we packed up, got in the car, and then we left. Now I'm in the car and I'm listening to the radio and I'm listening to Warriors Radio and the commentator is actually saying something really interesting. And in the middle of this conversation, guess who calls? My dear mother calls me. Yay, you know? And so, you know, but basically what happens like in my car when someone comes, uh, comes on the phone, it interrupts the, the radio. It's only one, one or the other. And so it's Bluetoothy, and I'm talking to my mom. And she's like, hello. I'm like, hi, mom. And then she starts talking to my kids behind me, you know, like in Chinese. Oh, I love that, you know, when she's not really talking to me and she's talking to them. And she's, she's really giving them like a, a lesson in Chinese, right? She's giving them a lesson in Chinese, and it's taking like five minutes, and I'm kind of losing all this valuable commentary on the warriors. And then she turns to me and she says, Andrew, I bought you a Groupon. I bought you a Groupon, and I want to tell you how it works. I said, Mom, I know how a Groupon works. She says, no, there's tricks in the fine print beyond that, and if you listen to me, you can save even more money. I'm like, Mom, I'm going to give you one minute to tell me how a Groupon works. You tell me how a Groupon works, go. And she starts telling me these things, right? Well, if you do this and you don't, you pay the amount and you got to be, you have to tell them, be very clear. You got to come close to the amount. I'm like, okay, mom. Okay, is that true? She asked, my friend said, okay, it must be true then. Okay. And then she says, and here's another thing about tipping. And then she starts talking about it. I go, oh, mom, the minute is up. I'm sorry, you're done. She said, hey, you're being rude to me. I said, mom, I am here listening to the word. And then she hung up on me. 
I'm sitting there going, I can't believe my kid and the backpack and my mom and they're rewarding and giving a group hug. And, <laughs> and I'm sitting there and all of a sudden, I hear my voice from yesterday. Oh yeah, that friend of ours, he, he's kind of harsh with his family with an edge of antagonism. I hear my own voice. And then suddenly like, oh my goodness, I'm the same. And it was just one of those moments where you see the sin of other people so clearly. And God gives you these moments of grace, of faith and clarity, where you actually see your own sin. I, I was telling you guys a lighthearted story. There is far worse that goes on in my heart. I'd be too embarrassed to actually share these stories. But something in the past 15 years, I have this conviction, oh my goodness, I am a sinner. And I desperately need a savior. Now I want you to look at this picture. I show this again, and I want to ask you this picture, what do you see? Okay, and let me just turn around and, and look at this picture with you. And these are really my, my, my closing thoughts for the message. Now when you see that picture, the first thing you see is you just see blood and, and cuts and agony and gore, right? Okay, so you see blood and you see pain. What else do you see? Well, I see a great injustice. Like, he was innocent. He was, he, was in, he, was, he was perfect, actually. He was the perfect man. And he's dying up there, falsely accused. And you get this sense of injustice. What do you see? Well, through the eyes of faith, through the reality of my own sinfulness, I see the Son of God dying on that cross to pay for my sins. What do you see? I see the emotions of me feeling blown away that God's son of infinite worth would die on that cross for me and for us to pay for our sins. I'm floored. My mind is blowing. I can't believe he would do that. What do you see? I see his death on the cross bringing healing and restoration into the entire world. This is the message. Do you see it? You must have eyes of faith to see it. And when you see it, this man comes into your life and he changes everything about who you are and what you stand for. And that's what's at stake. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray for everyone in this room that you would give us eyes of clarity to see your son. Father, a lot of times it's hard because we're biased and we're distracted and we can't see. But I pray that you would create moments where we can see the miracle of Jesus dying for us and rising from the grave. We can apply faith and go, he died for me. And that would lead us to the most amazing worship experience of our lives. Lord, I thank you for what's about to ha happen, the miracle of Sam being baptized and all that that stands for. I pray that we wouldn't just see a man being dipped in water, but we would see all the spiritual implications of Jesus dying for him and Sam um, uniting with Jesus in his life and his death. And I pray that he would lead us to a great sense of worship and celebration, all for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's do shout to the Lord.